Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of January 23rd, 2023. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on both Facebook Live and YouTube Live, as well as via streaming audio from the show's website, weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I join Michael weekly in the first hour of Tuesday's show from 6.25 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages, also on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the projects page on national blog site, medium.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, we discussed a recent article by Ed King that we think explains the PFD issue as well as any effort we've seen. Second, we discussed the most interesting and potentially hopeful thing to us about the new House organization. And third, we explain why Governor Dunleavy is trying to levitate above, another term for unrealistically ignoring, the real fiscal issue the state is facing. And now, let's join Michael. Brad, let's start off with number one, which I think is an amazing piece. I mean, if, like I said earlier, if you want a primer or a 60-second elevator pitch on what exactly is the permanent fund and how it works and what the problem is for what we have going on today, uh, economist Ed King has got you covered. Go. Well, I think uh, I think there's, there's uh, one thing that's sort of been consistent through the whole PFD debate, and that is how economists look at the PFD and look at what's going on when you divert a portion of the PFD uh, to, to fund government um, and, and, and how that compares to alternative uh, revenue measures. In the 2016 and the 2017 uh, ICER and ITEP reports, we had economists that were looking at the issue. They viewed the PFD, diversion of the PFD as a revenue source into the general fund because the PFD was was a designated, statutorily designated as a distribution to individuals, as income uh, to individuals and taking a portion of that and diverting it to government, they viewed as, uh, as, a, as a revenue source in the government, essentially a tax on the PFD and a revenue source uh, in the government. We've had, we haven't really had economists taking a look uh, at this issue for a while, but Ed King, who, who uh, hopefully people on the show know, is an economist who served in the Dunleavy administration, has served as uh, a private economist, a consulting economist, um, has served as, it, before that in the Department of Natural Resources, the Department of Revenue, served as a legislative aide. Uh, last session is going back to serve as a legislative aide uh, this session. This session. Uh, Ed wrote a piece uh, that I think is just an outstanding piece and one that I'll come back to time and time and time again. It's on his website, um, and the title of it is uh, Do Alaskans Really Get Paid to Live Live There? And he starts out by talking about, uh, you know, he's asked by outsiders. Ed spends a lot of time 
uh, outside various uh, various uh, things. And he talks about, you know, when people find out he's from Alaska, they ask, they ask, do Alaskans really get paid to live there? But that's really just sort of the the, the stepping off point for an analysis of what the PFD is uh, and what diversions of the PFD to the general general fund are. He talks, he, he talks, he describes the PFD as, as, as I've described it from time to time, but this is an economist talking about it. He talks about it as a trust set up for the benefit of individual Alaskans, the permanent fund dividend portion of the permanent fund earnings. Right. Beneficiaries. The benefit. Alaskans being the beneficiaries of the right. trust, right? Being set up as a trust. It, the same way, and he uses this analogy, which I, I appreciate, the same way as in the lower 48, which I dealt with a lot when I was a practicing lawyer down there, setting up a royalty trust, a, 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 somebody who owns the land, setting up a trust for future generations, uh, putting the revenues from their royalties into this trust, building up the trust, and then distributing out the trust to the beneficiaries of the trust. Um, usually on a family basis, sometimes on a corporate basis, uh, various various purposes of the trust. But it was a fairly it's a fairly common thing in the lower 48. Ed talks about the PFD uh, being the equivalent of that lower 48 royalty trust set up for the benefit of Alaska families. Um, and then and then he talks about the diversion of uh, of the PFD into. Uh, into uh, government. And this is what he says about it. And I think th these are the final two paragraphs of the piece. And I think it's tremendously important. This is an economist looking at the economic impact, looking at what, what's really happening, the economic fundamentals of, uh, of, of what's going on with the PFD. And he says, the problem with the, 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 problem with the argument that he was, that, that, you know, he was stating other people make uh, above is twofold. First, if government took away your distribution from any other trust, to which you are a beneficiary, it would clearly be called a tax. In Oklahoma, uh, distributions from these royalty trusts are taxed. Uh, they're not taxed at a different rate. They're taxed as income, just like just like uh, other other sources of uh, of income from inheritance trusts or any other uh, form of trust. Uh, the diversion of it, uh, the diversion of a portion of it to the state is called a tax. And as Ed State says here. If government took away your distribution from any other trust to which you are a beneficiary, it would clearly be called a tax. Likewise, changing the rules of the game so that the distribution, the PFD, gets smaller is in fact a tax. So the debate is really about which type of tax to implement. Second paragraph. Second, using the PFD to fund government shifts the balance of benefits among the population. Consider the extreme. Um, in which there is no dividend. In that case, all of the benefits from oil production would fall solely on those that otherwise would be, would be paying taxes. Remember, Hammond's original vision was 50% for the, for the permanent fund dividend, 50% for uh, available for government. If government needs more than that 50%, then government needs to tax to raise that additional revenue. It doesn't go steal from the dividend. It doesn't go tax the dividend. It needs to have a general tax to raise that additional uh, revenue. Uh, diverting a portion of the PFD, then over taking money out of the pockets of middle and lower income Alaska families over to government to avoid that, uh, to avoid that tax to, to pay for the additional costs of government, uh, it, it shifts the burden. What Ed's saying is shifts the burden it puts it on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families and benefits the top 20%, the wealthy that otherwise would pay tax. So 
Back to Ed's back to Ed's paragraph. Consider the extreme in which there is no dividend. In that case, all of the benefits from oil production would fall solely on those that would otherwise be paying taxes. That's a benefit for the rich at the expense of the poor. Ed's words, not mine. I'm not sure about you, but that doesn't seem fair. So I think I think the really the 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 importance of this piece is we have an economist, another economist looking at this issue, understanding the fundamentals, understanding what what Hammond was trying to set up with the PFD, a trust for the benefit, the benefit with the beneficiaries being Alaska families, all Alaska residents. Right. And that and that invading the trust. Uh, diverting a portion of the trust is like if you diverted a portion of a lower 48 royalty trust is a tax on the income intended for those individuals um, uh, to build up government. And because of the way the distribution benefits Alaskans, uh, the help it gives middle and lower income Alaska families, uh, the diversion of that income, the tax is to the is to the detriment of middle and lower income Alaska families. And as Ed puts it, uh, that's a benefit for the rich at the expense of the poor. So I, I think it's a great article. I think it's a great summary, looking at it from the perspective of an economist about what's really going on when we deal with these PFD issues. No, and I, and I, again, I think this is the perfect, just bite-sized chunk of exactly what it all covers. I mean, he talks about the formation of the fund, the history of it, why, you know, why does it pay? what exactly it is. He dispels some of the myths and rumors about it being a sovereign wealth fund and everything else in this small little bite-sized chunk. I mean, you could be forwarding this to anybody that has an argument about how oh, it's welfare and everything else. And if they had an open mind and were willing to look at this in this little short bite-sized perspective, they would have a, a really good understanding about this. This is a fantastic and very concise and illuminating piece from uh, Ed King. I, I mean, I think it's fantastic. Yep. Yep. And I, and, and, and I encourage if, if, if listeners haven't read it, I encourage them to, to read it. If they, if they feel of a mind, I encourage them to distribute it, either post it on your social media or distribute it to friends. Uh, I think it's worthy of getting out there. It's, it's not, I mean, Ed, <laughs> Ed got, uh, whacked around pretty well on Twitter and other social media at one point, uh, when he was working for governor Dunleavy and he's, he doesn't really he doesn't really distribute this stuff much. I mean, he sort of posts it here. This, these are my thoughts, um, and uh, and sort of leaves it there. So it's not going to get widely distributed if it isn't picked up by others and uh, and talked about like we're doing it here uh, and distributed in terms of you know reposting on social media like I've done and like I would encourage others to do. Yeah, uh, it, it it we need we need to get the word out. No, I would definitely be. We'll be sharing this on the program here after the show today. Uh, on the Facebook page and others. And I encourage others to uh, to share it as well. I've posted links up in the chat room. KingEconomicsGroup.com is uh, Ed's website, and you can find it there at the top on his first blog post. Randy apparently missed the whole deluge about the actual the fund being a trust. Um, is the PFD a true dividend based on surplus, as in the case of a private company where profits and salary could vary, or is it a quid pro quo social security payment where people pay in a certain amount and expect a certain amount out of it? It is neither one of those. It's a trust, right, Brad? Like any kind of land trust like they'd set up in Oklahoma or Texas or North Dakota. Yeah, exactly right. And you call those dividends when they come out of the trust. I mean, a dividend, a dividend isn't, isn't only, uh, payments from, surplus in a corporation. I mean, not even corporations are always paying from surpluses. Sometimes they, to maintain their dividend, sometimes they pay from debt. Sometimes they, 
they cut spending in order to maintain the dividend. Um, uh, but in Oklahoma, but as we were talking about before, when you create a lower 48 land trust, a royalty trust, uh, uh, the payments out of that are called dividends uh, to the recipients, to the beneficiaries. So it's, it's <laughs> you, you can't, you can't um, take the, t the title of dividend and somehow, you know, make it something different than what it is. It is, it is a payment out of, out of the earnings, a payment uh, out of, uh, out of the trust uh, to the beneficiaries. And uh, it's just, and it's just a question of who you're making the beneficiary. I mean, right. The statute, as it's currently set up, makes middle and lower income Alaska families largely the beneficiaries. Right. Uh, well, we're all beneficiaries equally. It's just they have it has the largest impact on them. Right. 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 Who outside of Alaska gets cash payments from a land? Randy, you're missing the point. And nobody outside of Oklahoma is going to get well unless they're an owner, I suppose. But in Alaska, we are all owners collectively. So that's that's how that works. I know you just don't want to see it that way, but that's that's that's. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it is. All right, well, let's move over to number two um, because I, I definitely want to get to all three today uh, because this is some interesting stuff. And so number two is uh, basically uh, what the most intriguing thing about the House organization. And there was a lot you could see. All you had to do was read the committee assignments and see there was some serious horse trading going on in the formation of the House majority. Um, but this to Brad uh, was probably the most interesting thing go. Well, I think there's one thing that's under the radar that's going on under the radar. And, and I, I've not seen any of the media pick up on it yet. Uh, and, and in part because it hasn't started, hasn't started acting yet. But there was a committee. There was one committee formed by the House majority that I didn't expect to see them form. As, as, as you'll recall, uh, last session in the coalition, or last legislature in the coalition, the last two years in the coalition, they formed a, a Ways and Means Committee that was headed by Ivy Sponholtz. And the original fanfare around this committee was uh, that they were going to they were going to come up with the fiscal plan, and they were going to be the ones that that, that drove the drove the boat. They were going to be the think tank that that created this stuff. There were a lot of people on that committee. I think there were seven people on the committee. They had some hearings. They came up. Ultimately, they sort of came back to the to the coalition version of a 25-75 split, 25 of the individuals to Alaska and 75% of the P of the permanent percent of market value draw uh, to government. Uh, but it was it was an interesting committee, but ultimately didn't count for much. And when the when the Republicans were able to form the majority in the legislature, I thought, well, that committee's gonna be dead. It's not. Uh, they they have created a Ways and Means Committee uh, with only three members, uh, chaired by Ben Carpenter, who's no longer on House Finance. He's he's chairing uh, uh, one of the joint committees, Legislative uh, Affairs, um, and that takes a lot of time. But but he would still have time to be on House Finance. But he's moved from House Finance over to chair of Ways and Means. He's he's one member, Jamie Allard, uh, who's a who's a freshman. Uh, but is chair of education, chair of the House Education Committee in the new organizations. And that's going to be a key spot, given that everybody wants to increase K through 12 spending, that you want to, you know, have defined benefit plans for teachers, all sorts of all, all the sorts of things that, 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 that the education community is going to be pushing in K through 12. The Education Committee on the House side, they're, they're going to be pushing it in the Education Committee on the Senate side. The Education Committee in the House side is going to be a, a key 
uh, a key legislative spot. Jamie is the chair of that, and Jamie is the second member, uh, uh, two majority members on the committee on Ways and Means. And then the third uh, member is Cliff Grow. And Cliff uh, ran on being a, a fiscal policy expert, um, uh, thinks of himself as a fix, fiscal policy expert, is recognized, I think, by many as a fiscal policy expert. I, I am absolutely convinced that that, uh, that Cliff wanted to be on House Finance, uh, but but has but but is on this committee uh, instead. Uh, recall that the House Majority uh, has said that that their top one of their top issues is is achieving fiscal stability. And when asked what that means, Delena Johnson, uh, one of the co-chairs of House Finance, has said, "Well, one of the things." That we should look go back and look at is the fiscal the outcome of the fiscal policy working group uh, in the last uh, legislature and 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 the package that that they th the thoughts they had the approach uh, they had. Ben was a member of the fiscal policy working group was a key member of the fiscal policy working group um, and and made some significant uh, 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 compromises I think in the formation of that package. Uh, I think was an integral player in the formation of that package, spoke about it on the House floor, tried on the House floor in sort of a backwards way at one point to uh, get pieces of their proposal picked up uh, in the in the budget um, and 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 has been an advocate of the of the uh, uh, of the proposal made by the fiscal policy working group. And now we've got Ben who's moved from House finance, significant role. He played, he played a significant role in House Finance, the most vocal Republican on House Finance. Moved from House Finance over to chair of, way, of this new Ways and Means Committee. So if, you know, I, I, I in my mind, I've not talked to Ben about this, uh, but I, in my mind, see uh, a, a path of what they're, of what they're creating here. Uh, House Ways and Means, co-chaired by Delena and two members of the Bruce, uh, uh, Bush caucus, uh, Bryce Edgman and Neil Foster, uh, House Ways and Means sort of dealing with the day-to-day -day fiscal issues and then, or House Finance dealing with the day-to-day -day, uh, fiscal issues and then House Ways and Means over here sort of on the same track as 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 how the coalition envisioned it, not the same approach, not the same right. policy, right. But, but coming up with the, coming up, you know, being, being assigned the responsibility to come up with the fiscal plan. You've got the right players on there in Ben, member of the Fiscal Policy Working Group, former member of House Finance, Jamie, Chair of Education, and Cliff Grow, who really from, from the Democrat side, from the minority side, is probably the best, the most well-versed in fiscal issues. Uh, you got the right players on there. So I I, I think there's a, a significance to the, the continuation of this committee. Didn't have to do it. House Ways and Means hadn't existed for a long time before it was created by the last legislature. Uh, I think there's significance to the uh, to the majority creating this committee and to the members that they put on this committee. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting, especially we had a conversation with both Kathy Tilton and Ben Carpenter last week, who both referenced the fiscal policy working group uh, plan as being part of the quasi blueprint for what the majority is trying to do in the House this year. So it should be interesting to see how this all plays out. 
Uh, Kevin McCabe in the chat room says there are now five members of that committee, although basis in the state legislative, uh, the legislative website is still showing three. So I don't know who the uh, other ones are yet, but ask, ask Kevin who the other two are. I have just asked Kevin who the other two are in the chat room because I'm interested to see. But I think it's going to be, uh, I mean, I think this is good. I think that somebody who's got a strong basis in economics like Ben Carpenter and Cliff Crow, and then bringing the uh, committee chair for, for education, which is going to be the hot button issue this year. We already know that uh, together and then add that to the fiscal policy working group uh, plan. And, you know, it might be interesting to see what comes out of this committee uh, going forward this year. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's the sleeper. And I, when I, when I was thumbing through the house organization, I thought, okay, okay, okay. A lot of, a lot of freshmen on house finance, why is that? Where's 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 this going? And then I saw this committee, um, and and had the thought that you know this is at least initially sort of like when the last legislature, when the last majority set up their House Ways and Means, at least initially this looks like a a good place uh, to focus uh, attention and a good place uh, to try to develop a, a plan. Well, and historically, uh, the House Ways and Means Committee last year did not get quite the uh, it didn't have quite the impact that I think that they thought it was going to have. Um, uh, Kevin says that he is one of the five. Uh, he's not said who the other one is, but uh, he says, I also have five other committees, which must feel it must feel good to at least be in the driver's seat a little bit. I agree with that uh, at this point. Well, having been, as, I, I mean, Kevin's not Kevin's great. Kevin's chair of transportation, I think, uh, which also is a big uh, a, a big place where money goes. It's going to be a big issue this year because of the increased capital budget that the administration is proposing, not only this year, in, but in future years in order to match the federal funds that are, that are coming in largely on the transportation side. So transportation is an important funding committee. Also great to have, great to have him on board. Frankly, I think that just sort of re reinforces the importance of this committee. You're getting, you're getting the people on there like Ben, who was on the fiscal policy working group, has been through these issues, thought about these issues, who can focus on this. Jamie, who's one of the, who chairs one of the key spending committees. Kevin, who will chair one of the key spending committees. So it, it just sort of reinforces uh, where that's going. If Kevin's being added, I, the other member then may be a minority member um, to maintain. I, right. I doubt if they'd go 4-1. It's probably 3-2. So Right. A balance of one one way. So, um, uh, Chris uh, over on Twitch says, "If I'm going to lose my PFD to government taxation, why should I not? Why should I not be entitled to more services?" Um, I mean, I think we're all entitled to the same amount of services. The question is, are these services the government need to be involved? I mean, that should always be the question. I mean, let's face it: we here on the program are, are first and foremost. We're, we're a cut first kind of mentality. I know that I am, but I also agree with the idea that we're basically trying to make the decision right now on what's the best form of taxation. The one we don't have the control over right now is the dividend cut. Uh, we at least would like to have some say in what form of taxation there is. Um, but I mean, I don't, you know, what other services could they provide that they're paying for right now that wouldn't cause government to expand even more? There's, there's two, there, there, there's two different concepts here. And, and, and maybe this isn't what Chris is talking about, but there's what you spend on and you spend a lot of time thinking about that. And then there's how you fund it. 
Uh, and, and, you, and that's a separate issue that you think a lot about that. I mean, some people say, oh, if we have a tax on top of PFD cuts, that's just more spending. It's not. A tax replaces the PFD cuts as, as the source of revenues for the spending. The legislature has demonstrated it's going to spend what it's going to spend. Whatever, whatever it appropriates, less what the governor vetoes, that's going to be spending. The question is how you pay for it. And, and paying for it with PFD cuts shifts the burden of middle and lower income Alaska families. If you pay for a portion of it with taxes, more equitable taxes, then you spread the burden more broadly, including to non-residents. You spread the burden more broadly and you, and you, and you levelize the, the impact across, the, across income brackets. So you, you shouldn't think if I'm going to have PFD cuts and taxes, then I'm entitled to more services because there's going to be more spending. No, that's not, that's not what's going on. It's a, question, it's a question of how you divide up what's be, how, you're, how you're dividing up the funding and who's being impacted by the funding. But Chris is expressing the same fear that I have, Brad. If you put more money on the table, they'll spend more money. And even Ed King in the King Economics thing said they recognized that the legislature was spending every dollar that went through the Treasury. That's the problem. Maybe you can address that here as we come back into it. We're continuing now with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We were just talking about, you know, what happens when if there is a tax, an additional tax. I mean, there's already a tax with a permanent fund. I think we can mostly agree on that in on this show anyway. I know other people don't believe that, but I believe it is a tax. It's a takeaway. King makes that argument. Brad makes that argument. But the big question is, if they do tax more and there is more revenues coming in, uh, won't it just encourage more government spending? It's always been my fear, Brad, and you and I have disagreed on this. You believe that it would be an offset. I believe it would be ancillary and additional spending that, you know, it just would be too tempting. The money's on the table. Why would they give it back to Alaskans in the form of a PFD? Well, Michael, the, the, there's additional money on the table now. There's still $800 million or so uh, in PFD money, additional money they could take. They don't, they don't take that. I mean, at some point, spending runs out. The, 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 the impetus to spend, the desire to spend, the support for spending uh, runs out. And, and you know, if, they, if they were going to truly spend everything they had, then the $800 million in, is going out in PFD would be spent right now. But they don't do that. I mean, the legislature spends on a lot of things. They spend too much. Uh, there, we've identified since the early 20 teens areas that they could cut back. But they, but they, they just keep spending, and they're and they're going to spend on on what they're going to spend. The question is how they're funding it. And right, right now, they're funding it entirely through PFD cuts, through taxes on middle and lower income Alaska families. Right. Going forward, uh, I'm not advocating more revenues. I'm advocating a different revenue structure. Swapping the right, swapping the way that it's funded, right? in, in in how that spending's being funded. I don't think it ends up with more spending. If they wanted to spend more, they have the revenues now in terms of in terms of what's going out in PFDs to to have oh, more spending. I think that's the dream, though. I think the dream is to have access to the full eight hundred million. That's just not palatable, uh, palpable right now. Uh, palatable, rather, to do that right now. But uh, anyway, let's move on to number three, which is the governor can't have it both ways. Uh, and you reference this KTUU article, which I'm going to pop up on the on the in the chat room here. But uh, give us your take on this, Brad. Why? What do you mean the governor can't have it both ways? What are you talking about? Well, here here's what the governor's doing, and this is part of you know what we were talking about before we before we went on air. Uh, he, the governor's trying to stay, trying to levitate above the legislature and levitate above the battles that the legislature is going to have to engage in. 
and and he's and he's he's doing this levitation act by creating this whole source of whole source of new revenues and saying oh you know the the carbon management revenues are going are going to do wondrous things they're going to go from 300 million dollars this year the budget says 300 million dollars this year 500 million dollars next year to uh, uh 300 million dollars in FY 24 500 million dollars in FY 25 750 million dollars in FY 26 and uh $900 million by FY27. That's that's going from like a third of the cur current carbon market, uh carbon management market out there. And even if the current carbon management market grows, it's going, you know, it's still a huge percent of the overall global carbon management market that governor that the that the governor's arguing is going to come to Alaska alone. Look at another way, this 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 magic growth in the carbon management market is like adding 250,000 barrels a day of production in four years to get to $900 million at $75 uh, oil. That's that's 250,000 barrels a day of additional production. The, the, the governor's are saying that, you know, this magic carbon man, carbon management revenue is gonna, you know, get us 250,000 additional barrels uh, in the span of four years. It's not gonna do that. There's no evidence the administration has provided there's no, as I wrote about in last Friday's Alaska landmine column, there's no evidence out there in the world that Alaska is alone is going to be able to capture that huge a share of the of the global carbon market, you know, just immediately going from startup to, to that huge a share. Maybe eventually we get to something like that, but it's not happening next year. It's not happening in the year beyond that. It's not happening in the 10 year period. Uh, that that the governors talked about uh, in the in the in the ten year ten year plan, but but he's trying to dodge the debate uh, about you know the real on the ground the real facts debate about how we pay for for government, and what he says in this KTUU article is or in this is in that interview is I want the PFD I want a statutory PFD and I don't want to pay taxes. Well, you can't have it both ways. I mean, he's trying to have it both ways by creating this, this fiction out there of the carbon management revenues so he can stay above the battle and say, oh, we don't have to worry about that. We're going to have these carbon management revenues. We don't have to worry about this real debate between, between PFD cuts and taxes. Well, it's a real on-the-ground debate. It's a real on-the-ground debate for FY24. It's going to be a real on-the-ground debate in FY25. It's going to be a real on-the-ground debate uh, through the remainder of the decade. And the governor is trying to... He, he, the governor is trying to stay above the fray, avoid the battle, the real battle that Alaskans face, the real battle the legislature is going to face, and you can't have it both ways. We're either going to have PFD cuts if 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 we don't have leadership on on other remedies like some cuts, some taxes. If we don't have leadership in that direction, we're either going to have continuing and deeper PFD cuts to to, to hit the to hit the uh, to hit the balanced budget. Or we're going to have we're going to have to have some sort of, of revenues. We're going to have to have leadership on some sort of revenues. And for the governor to try to, to try to you know levitate above the debate, uh, I think is I, I don't I don't think he's being governor. I don't think he's taking the leadership role. I know he got hurt um, uh, in the first year when he tried to take a leadership role when he tried to you know direct the state in 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 the direction he thought best. And I know that that he took a lot of hits for that. And I know he doesn't want to take hits again. Uh, but you know, you can't, you can't run for governor and not want to lead. Uh, 
you, you can't run for governor and want to live in a fantasy land, uh, the, which is what carbon management revenues are. But he's trying to do that. And, and, and it's not leadership to try to have it both ways. If you want to be a leader, if you want to deal with the real issues that'll, that'll, that the legislature is going to have to deal with on the ground, that Alaskans are going to have to are having to deal with on the ground, if you want to be a real leader on those actual real life issues, then you need to get in the debate and you need to you need to fess up. I mean, by trying by 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 putting all of his stock on these on these fantasy revenues, what he's really setting up is is continued and deeper PFD cuts. Because once you have the budget, and, and remember his budget grows, not as doesn't keep up with inflation, but his budget nevertheless grows. Right. Once once you have that spending, if if you're predicating paying for that spending on the basis of these carbon management rules, the carbon management revenues, they don't show up. What else is there? The the legislature has shown what it will do. It will cut the PFD to balance that spending. So the governor's not proposing spending cuts. The governor's not proposing realistic revenues. When we when when you get to the end of the day and you have to you have to balance the budget, what's going to happen? It's going to be in the form of PFD cuts. So it's I mean, he's 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 not facing up to real issues. He's trying to levitate above the real issues, and I think it's I think it's doing a disservice to the state. Well, this goes back to our discussion on the state of the state address. Maybe that's why everybody thought it sounded great. Both sides thought it sounded great because, again, the most amorphous kind of uh, you know non-committal, non-specific. Uh, address that you can have. I just look at this and uh, I mean, I, I could see that the governor's pie in the sky idea that somehow we're going to have these magical revenues up here. I mean, we're betting on is what my grandfather used to call the if come, right? It's not income. It's the if come. And if you're ba- building your whole house on this kind of house of sand, if come kind of ideas. Um, and there's only a one other option in the room, which at this case, the biggest pot of money is the PFD then it sounds like that will be the target when it's all said and done, um, which, again, you and I are going to disagree on this, but I think that's the whole game plan in the, in the long run anyway. They, they want to take the PFD, and what they really want is they want access to the corpus of the fund eventually, but they'd be willing to take the whole ERA in the meanwhile. So they're, I mean, they're, they're just sucking up all the available, hoovering up all the available money in the room uh, in whatever way they can. If you really want to stop them spending, Michael, though, I mean, a spending cap would be would be nice if it works. I mean, we've had spending caps; they don't they don't they don't stay tied to reality. That's the problem with a spending cap. But if you really, if you if you really want to stop spending, as we've talked about on the show before, get the top twenty percent, the people who hire the lobbyists, the people who the people who you know would 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 be affected by taxes. Get the top twenty percent in the game. Get them pushing back on spending. The 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 donors, the 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 supporters of the of legislators. Get them pushing back uh, on spending. Get them making calls saying, "Don't spend on this because you're making me pay for it." If you really want to stop spending, get them in the game. And the way to get them in the game is to make them not 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 push all of the burden off on them, but but make them pay a share of the burden. The problem with PFD cuts, the 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 the, the real problem that we that we that we wandered into with PFD cuts, is the top twenty percent get government, they get government services, all the government services they want, and they have to pay a piddling a piddling amount for it. It 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 doesn't affect them at all. It's the price. It's like the price of a of a of a Starbucks latte uh, uh, to them. 
and and they really don't care. I mean, a lot of them benefit from from increased government services, increased con, uh, number contracts, uh, additional right. contracts. Uh, some of them are government employees that get you know higher wages or more government employees or bigger unions. Um, that's that's what they want. But pushback, make them pay for a part of it, make them suffer uh, along with everybody else in terms of having to pay a share of your income to support government. Get them in the game, have them push back, and that that will control spending. The way the way we're doing it now, we're 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 never going to get there because we're making government goods free, free goods for the top twenty percent. They just want more of them. I mean, this is essentially <clears throat> what you're advocating is essentially the, the Hammond plan. I mean, this is what Hammond talked about, and Ed King talks about that in his piece, going back to the beginning of the and the history of the fund. He advocates that that's the only way to get people involved in government. Uh, because his argument was if we basically all if all the money went through to the uh, legislature, people would not be. He said he wanted Alaskans to be active participants of the oil business and the government. If the money if the money simply paid for government services and there was no need for taxes, the Alaska people wouldn't care what happened in Juneau. That would be a recipe for corruption, which, again, uh, Rob, Rob Myers has talked about that. It's complete and total disconnect. When you disconnect the government economy from the private economy, you get an overbloated, you know, government economy because they've got a full source of revenue that's outside of the people's control. So that's the argument you're making, right? Exactly. And Hammond, Hammond had a great phrase in, in this regard. He said he, he talked about taxes as the, as the sword of Damocles hang, or income taxes as the sword of Damocles hanging over legislators' heads. That if that if they did that, if they increase taxes, then the then their donors um, and and Alaskan voters would would you know come down on them hard. Would like the sort of Damocles would would take their heads off. Um, and and he said, you know, I Hammond was not an advocate of taxes as much as he was an advocate of the potential of taxes. He thought the potential of taxes. That's why when when they repealed the income tax, he didn't want to repeal it. He just wanted to take it to zero. Um, and have it sort of sitting there as as the sort of Damocles over legislators' heads. That you know that threat of taxes, that burden of taxes, that 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 threat that all all Alaska families have to pay a proportionate share of the cost of government um, is it, 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 Hammond view Hammond viewed, and I think is is accurately viewed as as the best spending cap there is because they will not. They, they will be very reticent to enact additional taxes. What we've done now with the form of taxes we're using, with the revenue design we're using now, is let them off the hook and, and push the burden to middle and lower income Alaska families who don't have lobbyists, who don't, who, who don't by and large, aren't big campaign donors, and so don't have the influence with legislators that big campaign donors do. Big campaign donors do. Um, we've, we've let that top 20% off the hook um, and they're getting, you know, government for free. So in my view, uh, this is not a revenue issue. It's a revenue design issue. It's how you gather the revenue you need, how you develop the revenue you need to pay for pay for spending and doing it the way we're doing it through PFD cuts, PFD taxes on the PFD is is not is not restraining spending because the people who can restrain spending, the top 20 percent, aren't aren't in the game. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, and of course the Fiscal Policy Working Group Plan 
covers a lot of different areas and aspects of this. It covers the PFD. It covers oil, new oil revenue, uh, you know, from the from the oil companies. It talks about taxation. It talks about cutting. It talks about all those things. Yep. And, and it's an all of the above. It's an all of the above solution, which I think is the correct solution. A little bit of PFD restructuring um, uh, to, to, you know, make that part of the make that part of the solution. A little bit of spending cuts. The fiscal policy working group endorsed that. And a little bit of taxation uh, as as part of the revenue structure, as part of revenue design, a little bit of taxation uh, to uh, to to fill out the the remainder uh, of the revenue needs. And I and part of the motivation for that is is Hammond's motivation, which is to push it. It, is to push the burden out. Thank you, Brad. We're out of time. Appreciate you coming in. Uh, we will talk to you later. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages, and keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the weekly top three.